can't believe you two took that raving lunatic seriously. What do you think this is? <laughs> We are doing episode two, the third episode of the podcast today. What's going on? How's it going? It's going. Just got off work. Yeah. We are back in the, we're back in the library, folks, uh, where the place where it all began. We got a little bit of a nicer room this time, so it might sound a little bit better on the recording, but support your local libraries, everyone. It's a great place to be. Libraries are good. Craig, did you do anything fun this weekend? I went to the shit headquarters. Well, their office. What is it called? It's like a store. It's like a store. It's like a demo rent, demo room where you listen to stuff. Oh, yeah, this is the the company that makes the the very nice audio equipment. Is that correct? Yeah, they make a lot of audio equipment ranging from relatively cheap to very expensive. Mm. So I went there with a couple a couple people from work, and we listened to their whole product line basically. So they make headphone amps, they make DACs, they make speaker amps. But, you know, I come from a background in audio, so their speaker amps are kind of, they're like, they sound good because you can get like tube preamps for listening to music on like an actual set of speakers, which is pretty neat. Mm -hmm. And then they have like an amp, but I've seen, you know, ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 amps in my life. So I don't know. They're so pretty, they're pretty nice. Impressed? No, they sounded good. I've just yeah. seen like more. I mean, they they look nice. And they sound pretty good. They so I don't know what the name. difference is, but they don't have, they're not like $20,000 preamps and stuff. I don't yeah. know. What was the whole experience like? It's pretty cool. You kind of walk in. There's this really nice guy. His name is Lucky. He runs the shop. His name is Lucky. His name is Lucky. And he's really cool. He's really awesome. The whole time we were there, he was great. They say on their website, they're like, well, you know, you can come in, you can listen to headphones, we'll make you coffee. But if you stay too long, we're going to kick you out. So they have this really fun attitude about everything. Uh, and we went there, uh, lucky greeted us. He said, how's it going? Where are you guys from? What are you here for? Etc. And then we said, we're here to listen to some amplifiers and stuff and check out all the headphone equipment. And he's like in this room over here. And then they show you this like spread of like on one side of the table is the entry level stuff to like the mid level stuff. And on the other table, it goes better, better. And then they're like best thing. Mm. So we kind of just. Started. I started on the the end with like the entry level stuff that I already have a couple other equipped pieces of equipment. I have the Valley right. Two, uh, which is a single tube preamp, and then it has a regular amplifier on the output end. So it's right. like a regular Class B or A amplifier on the output, but it's a tube amp on the preamp. So it kind of mm -hmm. gives you like some of the tube sound, yeah. but it's not fully tubed. Right. It doesn't have like four tubes. And then I listened to their multi bit DAC, which is a um, a sound processing chip that converts all the sound and changes everything from digital to analog. Uh, so those two pieces of equipment that I already have with like all the headphones they have on the wall, they had like 12 pairs of headphones ranging from Audis, LC, uh, LCXs, which are the closed back ones to like, just like basically a bunch of planar magnetic and like mm. really high end headphones. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Do they have any like of the like super old school, like vintagey kind of headphones that you can use? They had one of the Grotto headphones oh. that are like $900, I think. Did you try them? I think, I, no, they're, four, they're the $495 one, I believe. I did try them. I actually really like the sound of Grotto's. 
Yeah. Which is pretty nice because I got uh, on Amazon before Christmas, before all before Thanksgiving and Black Friday and everything a couple months before. They had like a random deal where the SR80s were 30 bucks. Oh, I haven't gotten them yet. So we'll see if I get them. But they had them. Um, so I was pretty impressed because I got to listen to those and they sounded really good. They're not very comfortable at all, but the sound is good. Right. Because those are the on ear, right? They yeah. Sit on top of your ears. But they're like little on ear. Yeah. They're yeah. not like the ones that circum whatever they are, circumoral, oh, where they cover your ear. Over ear. There's a term for it. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. As a person who wears glasses, I cannot ever again wear on ear headphones. They just like sit right on the. They band. will just press my very fragile earlobes mm. into directly into my glasses and. Very uncomfortable. I can't do it. That would be pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, so we got to try like 12 pairs of headphones on all their equipment. They had some headphones that were pre-built with XLR cables, so they were like the oh. high, high-end ones. Oh. Like they couldn't, they didn't have 16th inch or 8th inch or whatever the quarter inch the big plugs are. Right. And if any of those, it was all XLR. Um, so one of the girls that came with us from work was listening to their very high-end piece, set of pieces that are about $2,000 for the DAC and the amp. And she was listening to... I think they were $1,500 um, headphones, and she was in her zone. She was just sitting there listening it. to them, but she loved it. She was yeah. like sitting there listening to it. She was just like, this is amazing. And she just, they, and even uh, the other guy who I was with started listening to something on the same setup, and he was like, with his face, he was just like, this is amazing. And he almost almost teared. Oh, man. I would say. I mean, he yeah. didn't, but he had like a look on his face like, Jesus, this is really good. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Um, it was interesting because I've always wondered what like their mid-level end stuff sounds like. And I wasn't really that impressed with the middle grade tube setup. Mm. But I was with the old-fashioned Class B amplifier. Which right. Nice. The, uh, the more entry-level stuff. Yeah. Well, no, like even the mid-level... $400 class B they're like bigger oh okay. setup was pretty nice but the tube one I didn't think sounded that much different than the entry level valley two tube all their names are really cool yeah they're all like Norse mythology including their company name clearly is it is shit <laughs> oh, you're being sarcastic huh <laughs> yeah no their their uh their name is a joke they did actually tell us the story of why their name is that. Isn't this some guy's name? Like some, some person's actual name? No. So they were like working on the first production run of their amplifiers in their garage. And they were like really backed up. They're, one of the wives was wondering why they weren't done yet or weren't, you know, were just hiding in the garage. And he just like responds to her and he says, we got a lot of shit to build. They looked at each other and they were like, there's the name of the company. It's pretty cool. They yeah. have like a pretty cool, pretty cool history. They're a pretty neat company. Yeah. Did did Lucky confirm all of this? Yeah, he told us a lot of these stories. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah. That's a pretty dope origin story. At the garage. Mm -hmm. Pretty awesome stuff. Yeah. They're they have like a book, the most improbable startup. They have like a whole book that oh. was written about them. Because they like basically one of them worked in uh marketing slash advertising and the other one was like the head of some company and the other one did something else and then they came together and started creating audio equipment because they both like headphones like sound etc and they end up creating a company out of it that's pretty cool yeah it seems like it would be very difficult to start a hardware startup like that yeah in 2018 no they did it uh, a while ago but yeah i mean either way yeah it would be it's hard because you have to have capital you have to yeah it's a much more capital intensive process to actually build a mm -hmm. physical good that you can hold in your hand yeah 
and they still make everything by hand in the factory. So mm. they don't. They they basically have like guys just building the stuff. They don't they don't sell a ton of stuff. I mean, they do. They're pretty well known, but they don't. They're kind of in like a small group of consumers. They don't have like a public appeal. They do make this Fulla too, which is like a little like small DAC that you yeah, can the, use. Yeah, the, it's kind of like inline. It's yeah, just one it just plugs into USB, has one little knob, and it's powered by the computer or whatever. Yeah. They have that thing, which is a pretty common product. I think it's like 100 bucks, And then they go up from there to the Modi is like $100 as a DAC. And then the Magni amp is 100 bucks. So like 200 bucks, you can get separate uh, DAC and amp combo. Right. And then the Valley is like 150 And then... They have other DACs that go like 250 400 all the way up to 1000 Yeah, they have a pretty wide range of products uh, ranging from stuff that is sub $100 all the way up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, everything I've seen of them, stuff that I've heard that you brought into the office, all sounds very, very good. Yeah. Uh, especially for the price. So definitely stuff worth checking out. That sounds like a cool experience. I feel like it's always very cool when you have hashtag brands have actual locations. They're mm-hmm. almost like a, like a brewery. He said it's like a pilgrimage so that uh, Lucky said that people come from all over the world and they make, because if they're in California, they make the, they call it the shitter is the, is the store name. Yeah. They like, they make the shitter a destination. So, yeah. and there's no other, I mean, it's a nice town, but I don't think there's any other reason to go to Santa Clarita, like from all the other things that are around it. Yeah. You know, it, it, so people go there specifically for that. And there's also this really good restaurant next door. I forgot the name of it. Should probably help plug their restaurant, but yeah. I don't remember it, and I don't want to Google it. I feel like <laughs> that company name would never get old. The jokes would never get old. Yeah, I think so. I, ben and I have like a very immature sense of humor. So I would laugh at that every single time. Yeah, I think they do too. That's why they did it. Yes, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty neat. Pretty cool experience. I would recommend it if anybody is near Los Angeles or just really wants to make a pilgrimage out of it. Really loves their headphones, really loves audio. I mean, they're worth it. I, I was... So I had a while ago, I just had the Modi one and the Magni one, which is like the, I bought them years ago because I was starting to get into headphones and I wanted to see what they would, I got a pair of headphones that were 250 ohm, which means they need an amp to run. So I was like, all right, I'll try this thing. I'll get like the cheapest DAC, cheapest amp I could find. I mean, there's cheaper ones, but the ones that seem nice, I got them. And then I just felt like the sound was kind of like flat and neutral especially because i have the m50s the, the audio technicas which you're listening to right yes, now yes i have them on my head right now yeah they're pretty nice they sound very even and like clean because yep. they're designed for studio monitors yep. but then you add like a very clean and even amp and dac to them and they kind of just sound neutral right but then when i got the i got a pair, a pair of planars which i plugged a little couple episodes ago that i love and i love playing games with them etc um I wanted to get a tube amp because the tube amps kind of add a lot of color to the sound. Right. Um, and then my Modi DAC was really old. It was the one from like three years ago. So when I was there, I picked up a new Modi. Oh. So it's pretty nice. That's cool. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Yeah. So the, the new updated DAC actually does make a difference? Uh, it has a completely different chip. So like oh, okay. the old one had a chip. I mean... Uh, the, this other coworker from work I was talking about with this, he's, he says like, you know, well, they have like a newer chip, but sometimes, I mean, DAX are DAX. It's like, yeah, exactly. sometimes I mean, you, people would make fun of you if you said that, if they're like in that industry, but most of them use the same chips. Yeah. They all use this particular same chip. Some of them use different ones yeah. depending on the quality, but even some of the most expensive ones use one or two of the same chip that the Modi uses. Yeah. And the differences between the chips that come in a sub hundred dollar DAC and a very, very much more expensive DAC. 
not that huge of a difference. They could they cases, could so. be with the really expensive ones, like the yeah. thousand dollar ones. Yeah, they'll yeah. have like they have these multi bit DACs, multi DACs, so they double process things mm. and do and like maybe a processor for left and a process. They do all kinds of crazy stuff. I don't know, um, but I think there's there's not that much of a difference. There may be a difference as technology goes between like year one and year three, but right. I don't I don't know if there's that much of a difference between the ones that are in the, all the ones that use the same chip probably have a very similar sound. Right. But there's other things like filters that they have in them and that they personally design per unit. And I don't know, as with everything audio, I, I, I installed audio equipment for a long time in my life when I was in college. It, there's no price limit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah, yeah, and there's yeah. a lot of like, you know, the the gold plated monster cables are like super expensive and like handmade handmade with like gold tips and everything. And yep. it's just there's some level of like some of that makes a difference. But most of the time, it's like a decision that you're making where you have a $10,000 amplifier, you have like a set of $50,000 speakers. Why would you connect the amp and the preamp with like a $20 cable? Yeah. You might as well get an $80 cable because you're already spending $30,000. Yeah. It's kind of like that. It's like they get you in the, the entire package is more expensive because all the pieces are more expensive. Yeah. But if you get like the entry, the, the not entry level, but like a couple levels above that, you're probably fine. And a lot of it is about technology. Like, does does the preamp have Dolby Digital? Does it have whatever? Right. There are certain specific features that the new ones are coming out with. Yeah. Some yeah. of them might have Atmos, but you're like, do you actually have the ability in your house to run, like, 20 speakers? Are you going to run Atmos off your laptop? Yeah. Like, like and, and you have them in your, ceil in your ceiling and yeah, all this really. stuff. Like, well, I'm talking more for, like, regular audio. But oh, okay. to cross it back to, like, headphones, there is, like, a level of quality you get from having, like, an entry-level DAC, entry-level amp, and, like, a decent pair of... 150 to 300 dollars speakers are going to sound amazing yeah or headphones rather but anything above that you're like you're, you really have to be discerning discerning listener or there's a specific kind of technology you want like yeah planar magnetic or, or a particular type of sound that you want like yeah you were talking about the tubes and it also depends on the, but the other thing that's a, a, an inverse relationship is when you get a high-end DAC a high-end amp and a high-end set of headphones you start hearing the impurities of the audio source mm, yep so then you'll listen to like I don't know, like emo music like I did in high school. And you're like, this is recorded this for crap. Recording is garbage. It's garbage. And then you listen to something that's recorded really well, like Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd. You're yeah. like, this sounds amazing. Yep. And then you listen to something else and you're like, that sounds pretty good. Okay. It sounds fine. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a thing. A lot going on there. Yeah. That's what I did this weekend. That's cool. I didn't really do a whole lot. Yeah. I didn't, I definitely didn't do all that. I definitely, I, I prepped for our show, Greg. That's what I do. Oh, yeah? This is why I Are do. you prepped? I, I eat, sleep, and breathe public function show, Greg. Yeah? What's the topic, since you prepped? Our topic is open source software, Greg. Mm. I like open source software. It tastes yeah, it's good. pretty good. <laughs> tastes, tastes good. good. Yeah. Yeah. More flavorless filling. Yeah. I do have this sticker on my laptop that's pretty cool, and it's like, well, I'm showing it to you, but no one can see. It's like a 8-bit sorcerer. It says open sorcerer. Is that Gandalf? Uh, I don't know if Gandalf has a purple hat. It's definitely a wizard. Of some sort with a white beard. Of some sort, but I mean, copyright rules, they're probably not allowed to have Gandalf. I mean, it's, Let's just say it's Gandalf. You shall not Gandalf. pass yeah. this part of the laptop right. without being good at open source. Right. Yeah. Open sourcer. What does mm -hmm. being an open sourcer mean to you, Greg? To me, I mean, there's varying levels of, of being involved in open source. You... The lowest level, you can 
use open source software. Mm-hmm. I would say it would be like the, the lowest level. You can use it. You can passively use it. You know, you go on your project, you NPM install some package, you use it, it gets your job done. You're happy with it. It works great. Yep. Which is, you know, there's a lot of good people that make open source software. That sometimes does happen. There's, you know, especially better libraries, you end up not having to do anything for them. They just kind of work. The next level, I think, would be, you know, there's just something in that package that doesn't match what you're trying to do. Or actually, even before that, there's something that's actually broken in the package. Like, right. there's a legitimate issue in some specific portion of that application's or that library's, you know, surface area. There's, like, some piece that's broken. So right. you go on GitHub, and hopefully you have an account. If you don't have a GitHub account, I don't know what you're doing in development. Why are you listening to the public function? Why are would you why even... would you listen to Greg talk yeah. about all these things for hours? I don't know what you would do. How would you get in touch with Greg? I don't have any other <laughs> contact. If you methods. don't have a GitHub account, yeah. guys. Yeah. So, anyways, you you go on there and you're like, this you no, know, this thing doesn't work. And and hopefully, being a good open source user, you would ask. You would ask a nicely. One, a lot of repos and a lot of open source software will have like a template for asking a question. Yes. If you just like select delete that and you don't even look at it, I mean, you're already failing. Unless yes. you know what you're doing. Most of them, they're, they're going to ask you like, you know, what is the issue you're having? What operating system are you using? What other packages are you using? You know, uh, what version of Node? What version of Node or Python or whatever yeah. it is? What, what you know, they want to know. They're trying, you know, they want error logs. They want some kind of like ability to understand more than you just saying this thing doesn't work. Yeah. They want to know like worse. That's the worst thing you could do. Your thing's broken. Can you fix it, please? That's the worst way to work on open source. That doesn't help. You can the best one of the so like the first thing you could do is look at even if this particular project you're working on doesn't have one of those templated responses where it tells you, you know, each step they want to know from you. Um, you can look at other projects and see what they ask. Go try to create an issue in React and see what pops up. Oh, yeah. They'll give you a ton of little bits that they want to know that yep. are good for any project. Translate it to whatever you're doing. Change it to whatever language you're on. That's like a template. Yep. But if they don't have that, because often what you find is a lot of little packages that were built by someone who needed the particular functionality that that thing provided. They built it. Yep. It works for them at the time. And then they move on to other projects because any developer who's employed and working on things every single day will have a need for something and then they'll go on to something else and they don't always have a need for that thing anymore. So they'll have made it, put it on GitHub, and then they'll be like, you respond and they like will begrudgingly be like, oh man, or they won't even respond. Then you yeah. know that that package is not being used or not maintained or whatever. But if they do respond... They're probably busy. That's not their sole job in life. They're not, you know, just writing open source packages all day, every day. Yep. They're not making any money from it. They're probably not making any money from it. They're usually either tied to a company that has some kind of vested interest in that packages, what it does, or the technologies that it's around, or they use it internally, or they're using it on a project or something that they maintain, etc. Or it's made first party by like Facebook or Google or whoever. It's Firebase's API, SDK, whatever, something like that. Yeah helps their business and really it's just about going in there and understanding that you're having a conversation with this person who could have varying levels of involvement in this package but you both know that you need this piece of software you need this thing so the third level i would say is you go to them 
with a solution or you go to them and you say, you know, maybe you'll first ask a question. You'll say, this is all the things that you wanted to know. Here's the problem I'm having. This is what I expect to have happen. Ideally, here's a repo of a proof of concept project. Maybe it can't be the project you're actually working on, which I've had this problem in the past. You're working on a client's project. It's really big. Yeah. You can't just upload that repo publicly for someone to see. So ideally, you would create a small little snippet of code, put it on one of the code sharing sites that shows it breaking. If it's like a front end thing, mm -hmm. it's relatively easy to do. If it's a server side thing, you can create like a little package that they can download, npm install, and run and see the problem. Yeah. Ideally, you'd give them something to start with. If you can't do that, you give them logs, you give them code lines, you kind of point them in the direction of what you need. Once they respond, they're going to do one of two things. They're going to say one of a few things. They're going to say, I'm not going to fix this. Well, going from the worst, they won't respond because right. they're not maintaining it. Next up from that, they say, I won't fix it because it doesn't, for given reason X, it doesn't suit, doesn't suit the general purpose of the library. You're doing it wrong. Something like that. Sometimes you have to have a conversation with them about, you know, this, this thing doesn't work because of this. They say it, it's operating correctly because of Y. And you yeah. say, well, I really feel like use case X is useful. I think it's not working because of these reasons. And eventually you get at a point where they're going to say one of two things. They're going to say, I will fix that when I have time. Or they're going to say, can you submit a PR? Yeah. That's like the third level of involvement. You're actively going to help them fix their piece of software for them or for you, basically, so that you both get to the point where you have the thing you need. I would say the fourth level of involvement would be kind of a combination of, of submitting a PR. Once you submit a PR, you kind of have to teach yourself what their library does. Like, what is it doing? How does it work? Sometimes I even get, you know, I don't even understand sometimes what people are doing because the way that they built it is very specific to their problem. Right. They know what it is. They know how they built it. They know why they built it, et cetera. And it's hard to get to understand it. So there's always that. But then you kind of have to learn what they're doing. And, and I personally believe that if you're good enough to understand how to use someone's library and you're picking it for a big enough, important enough project, you should probably know how it works. So you start looking at the source code. You can try to figure out on your own computer how to modify the code to make it work. And then once you figure that out, you submit a pull request against the fork their library, submit a pull request against it fixing the issue, telling them what you did, hopefully not breaking their unit tests if they have them, not breaking their CI deployment if they have that, keeping your branch up to date, you ping them back and you say, I have a PR for this issue. And, and GitHub often links the PR to the original issue because it's pretty right. smart. Yeah. Um, especially if you say like fixes number 10, you'll always know that it's either the PR or the, uh, the comment, the, the issue. I think it always links to the issue. So, yeah, and then you get in there and you kind of fix something, work together, get a solution, submit it. And that's like usually the basic sets of states or conversations you're in or interaction you have with an open source library. The other kind of things that I would think are important are just the way that you converse with people, the way that you respond to them. When they tell you that something doesn't work or isn't going to work, you don't respond and be like, well, I think your library sucks <laughs> or whatever yeah. childish thing you can do. I mean, I've done that in the past sometimes, too. I mean, it happens when you're when you're in a rush to finish something, you get a sassy response, you give a sassy response back. 
Um, but one thing you have to think about when you're working in open source is that prospective employers are going to look at your GitHub. They're going to look at your most likely your more recent comments, your repos, your forks, your PRs, your mm -hmm. activity. Yep. People are watching that. So if you go into a library and you are just a jerk, they're going to see it. Yeah. So all that stuff is public. <clears throat> yeah. So I think you hit on a good point about a lot of things that you're talking about revolve around communication, revolve mm -hmm. around understanding where people are on both sides. Right, the maintainers of these libraries, again, a lot of times are not making any money mm -hmm. off these things. It's, I had this thing I had to fix. I had this problem. I decided to make a library for it and just put it out there and let whoever wants to use it, use it, right? That's the whole idea behind open source in the first place. So if you want help from these maintainers, it's always a good idea to come from the perspective of, hey, you built a great thing. It's helping me out. I would like to use it. Here are some suggestions. Here's something that I think could be better rather than saying this doesn't work. Fix it. Yeah, that's the worst thing you can do. Yeah, that's uh, it, it's worse. It's actively bad because the maintainer has to spend time to look at that and there is no progress or improvement that it can make yeah. as a result of that. Yeah, but now I mean, they have less time to help other people who have actual issues and fill out the template like you asked. Yeah. And one of the things is that is often like you can ask them, you, you can have a conversation with them and say like, I am totally willing to submit a PR for this. I just don't understand how this particular piece works. Tell me what you were thinking about this. And you have to understand that even that, even if you're willing to submit a PR, but they have to explain something to you. It's just like if you're at work and you're working with another one of your coworkers who built some project, you know, for a client or whatever, if you're in a servicing business or it's some particular part of an application if you're on a product side, and that person built that thing, just to get that, let's just say people who are making full libraries are probably seniors or above. Um, I mean, anybody can make libraries. Anybody can make anything that works. There's, you know, tons of... It's just that the easier things on, like, NPM... Let's just take NPM, for example. The easier things on NPM, like LeftPad, have already been built. Yeah. Things like that. So it's like there are libraries that do that, but it is less of a need for those. Usually it's... It's either some complete, slightly technical adaptation to like something like to get into some other kind of piece of software, or it's like like a an adapter layer to get at like you know GraphQL or something, mm -hmm. or it's going to be um, some kind of boilerplate or some kind of example code. You know, like a lot of uh, companies like Auth0, et cetera, like the, the big um, providers will give you like, here's an example, how to build an Auth0 app with React. But then I even noticed on, on their repos that some of them were out of date and I submitted a PR to like help improve one of them or improve mm. the documentation or whatever. I mean, these people have tons and tons and tons of things to do. They have to maintain their own products. They have to maintain their own services or their own applications. And at the, and at the same time, they have to support this software that they published online. Another thing to consider too is that sometimes people don't publish things because they actually even want people to um, to use it. They just do it because you have to pay money on GitHub to have private repos. So sometimes they just want it up on a repo, but they can't make it private, so they make it public, or it's just like a scratch pad, like something they just did. Yeah. But there happens to be something in there that's useful to people. Yeah. So somebody stumbles upon it and, you know, they search for it by name or in Google and Google does a good job of indexing GitHub. So they kind of find your repo and then they're 
you comment and they're like, why is this guy using this thing? I wrote that like on a weekend for a yeah. hackathon or something. I've definitely seen those reports where it's like, <clears throat> hey, I built this because I had this problem. I am not bold letters, not maintaining this. Yeah. Do not send bold letters. Do not use this for your own use. And you'll see like just this list of issues, a dozen issues, 20 issues. Hey, yeah. this thing, can you fix this thing? Can you fix that thing? Well, no. Yeah. I said I wasn't going to. Or so. someone, you'll, you'll, sometimes I've found things like, You'll go, you'll look at something, and then it'll be a fork of 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 something that someone made a long time ago, and someone's improved it, improved it, improved it. And, you know, they've done little things here and there to fix it, but nine people have different forks of the same thing. Mm, it's all out of sync. And, and it's all out of sync, yeah, and one of them mess. fixes one thing, and one of them fixes something else, but nobody's like, I'm going to take this thing over and maintain it. It, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't happen. That's a sometimes. huge commitment. I don't think people really yeah. understand uh, how much time it takes to say hey i'm going to be responsible for this library that all these people use right um yeah that there are a lot of libraries where it, it it's kind of an afterthought where you go oh okay well let me just npm install and just runs everything but some of the bigger libraries that are out there on on npm i mean you're talking millions of downloads hundreds of millions in some cases mm -hmm. so um that's a that's a huge base of people that are using your code, and even a small percentage of that is still going to be a lot of people and a lot of different issues that you have to deal with. Again, almost all of it being unpaid or just not financially uh, able to make up for the amount of time that someone is putting into it. So uh, as a developer, I think it's very important to approach that side of things with that attitude of, again, making sure that you are respectful of people's time and understanding that the ultimate goal is that we're all here to make all this cool code better. And the more that you help the people that maintain these libraries make it better, the better the tools are for us to use. So kind of a reciprocal thing. It's this very, very communist, happy-go-lucky ideal of the world. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, people, people have various different reasons of making things and, it's not always it's not always the case that they can maintain something or that they even want to. Yeah. And you have to understand that. And it, it's kind of like it's one of those things where if you're if you're a dev who's, who's teaching yourself things and you're not uh, you're working with lots of different technologies, you end up finding these various different places to learn things, various different places to get code from. I mean, people copy paste things from Stack Overflow all the time. I mean, yep. I do it sometimes if yep. it's the piece of code is some particular solution to something and it's. It's done well. I mean, I've gotten to the point now where, you know, I always analyze the code that I look at. Um, but I, it's one of those funny things. Like when I first started develop, developing like seven years ago or so, everything I did was either from an example, from Stack Overflow, or f uses some library or does something. It's really interesting that as you go across in your, in your career and you start building more and disparate things, you start to realize that sometimes there isn't, a package that does what you need to do. There isn't something that, that there isn't like a library that does the thing you think you need it to do. Nope. And it naturally gravitates towards you writing something. You know, you do this a lot at your, at your job where you write something, you think like, that's really smart the way I did that. That could be like a library. And then maybe over like a holiday break or whatever, over a weekend, you're like, I'm going to turn that into a library. Yeah. And then you do it because that's really good for your career and for your ability to get hired. People look at it. They mm -hmm. say, does this person write code? Do they just fork everything? Do they just, do they have a zero code on their GitHub? Right. Except for like the thing they did in college, you know, or whatever. Um, 
having the 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 history and even even making a library and and writing documentation for it, writing a readme and explaining what this library does, how to use it, does the library have tests, all of these things is it actually uses how do you respond to comments like if someone has an issue with one of your projects and you are really busy and you're not really always maintaining it how do you respond to those people do you say like which i've done in the past i'm guilty of <laughs> you know i'll get to this uh in, you know in a little bit i'll, I'll look at that because you're genuinely yeah. in that moment you're excited that someone's using something you feel a sense of community responsibility to help them because you've gotten so much from the community uh you have this innate willingness and desire to help these people but then you get busy and then you get pulled onto another project at work and you don't get to it. You forget about it. The person doesn't ping you back. And then the answer is just hanging out with no response. Yeah. I have a couple of those with a couple of things. Yeah. Um, but it's if, like. If you're doing a search for the problem that you have and you end up on one of these issues. Mm -hmm. Where they're like, oh, this person has the same issue as me. What's the answer? And you scroll down and it's just crickets. Yeah. That is. Uh, doesn't feel good. Feels it doesn't. Bad, man. I mean, a lot of the times, like, it's funny that going back to like the, as you progress in your career, you get to a point where most of the questions that you're asking of the Google, you know, you're searching for things, the Google, the Google, most of the questions that you're asking of the Google don't have answers. No, they don't. When you're young, when you're a junior developer and you're young and you're whatever the word is, and you're trying to, you're trying to get something to work, you're probably asking common questions. Yeah. How to state and react work. How do I vertically center this div? <laughs> no, CSS. Yeah. <laughs> How do I vertically center this div? Flexbox. You know, you Flex like, but you know, but it's back in the day when Flexbox didn't exist. You're like, okay, well, can you vertically center Flexbox? Am I wrong? I don't know. CSS. Uh, yes. It has a. Uh... Uh, oh, it has the line row items reverse. or line contents and combination of those. And then two. row reverse or whatever. Yeah, yeah, depending on how you're trying to do it. But yes, Flexbox is good. We we digress though. We should do a whole top podcast about how you just quiz me on how little I know of CSS. It'd be great. You actually know. You no, actually I know a lot more about CSS than you no, think. I, I know the things theoretically, but like, you'd be you'd be curious if I would actually come off sounding like I know. It'd be interesting. We should try that. We should. Yeah. Should we A/B test that? Maybe we have one episode where you, we talk about CSS and then maybe one episode where we talk, talk about, about Java like, or something. No, or we talk about like DevOps, which I do now. Oh, that would be a, a stark yeah. difference. But yeah, so like you go in there and you ask these questions and, you know, you, you find the answers because they're common questions. Yeah. Later on, you start asking questions that have no answers or yes. you find this like library that does something in very particular, like queuing servers or something that you never would do as a junior um, and you find this issue with the queuing system where like every time it sends a message, it doesn't clear the acknowledgement. Like it doesn't say, I got this. And yeah. then in some certain use cases, a race condition where the, uh, the AWK doesn't get sent the acknowledgement. And then all of a sudden you have like the, the things left in the queue where you double send something weird like that. You start asking that question. Nobody on, on regular stack overflow is going to have an answer for that. Cause it's likely, unless it's a really popular library, they've never used the particular rabbit MQ queuing library before yeah it's a very like small use case thing yeah so then you start asking the question and you end up obviously on the library the library's github that even google's really good at getting you there it'll get you to the only thing that's authoritative on that library and that would be the library in github yeah so you ask a question and then you get crickets and you're like well what do i do that's when you start looking at the source code and you if, if it's a big enough problem that someone is paying you to finish and you have to finish it which I mean, at that point, if you've, uh, I don't want to say this like lightly because I've done it, but 
you know, if you're at the point where you have a deadline and you've chose a library you don't know, you're probably making a mistake. Mm. If, if you've chosen some technology with a, a tight deadline that you don't know, which there's things that all of us don't know. Yeah. I've done this totally myself. You're probably already making a mistake. But if you get at that point where you're asking a question and you have a tight deadline, you don't get an answer. The only thing you can do is fix it yourself. Yep. If you can. Mm -hmm. And that helps everybody if you do that. So. Or just, just make it a new yourself. I mean, there's lots of jokes at work about me, you know, remaking things. Just remaking things. Just, you know, rewrite React. From the Just rewrite up. React with all yeah. the, you know, with all the lifecycle yeah, methods. Yeah, because one thing doesn't work, you know, because. Oh, component, component update is crap. Yeah, component update, framework for this. infinite loops all the time, you know, whatever, rewrite it all, but that's not true. Often you're just, especially with big libraries like React that. You know, there's millions of people using. You probably just either don't understand how something works, or maybe there is a legitimate use case for what you're doing. But the people that created the library have a different expectation or understanding of how that thing's going to be used. Yeah, that's always the fun ones where you have a direction that you think something should go. They think that your direction is valid, but not somewhere that they want to go. Yeah. Or what React says a lot: we don't want to increase the surface area of the API. Yeah. Which then you look at the API surface area and you're like, yeah, it is really simple. It's a that bunch of fundamental found building blocks. Yep. So and it's fair, but you know, how you react in those situations is, is key. How you react? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how you reconcile your differences. Yeah. In the shadow dome. <laughs> Great. It sounds like you've had personal experience with this whole uh, people not wanting to do the things that you asked them to do. Do you have, do you have stories for us? No, I don't want to name any libraries. I don't think it's worth it. I mean, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're these things. They're kinda, out there, though, guys. Go, look, go look for them. Yeah, public. I mean, you can find them. You can, but it, it happens. But it's like, you know, you, you just it's, it's one of those things where you just have to have a little bit of empathy to realize that the people that are building those libraries, like we've said many times, probably that's not their number one thing to do. You know, there's a couple developers like Cindersaurus is his name on GitHub. That yeah, guy that's has our guy. is a fun name, yeah, really cool great. name. Uh, he is like a he basically full time works on open source and he has donations. He does speaking opportunities. He does a mm. lot of things to support that for himself, which is great. But that guy churns out like libraries like crazy. He's probably contributed to or created a lot of libraries that you don't even know. Yep. Like, I'm pretty sure he created a bunch of Webpack packages that people use every day. Yep. He's created tons of things. Yeah, you're probably installing his stuff right now, guys. Probably. As you listen to this. Yeah. You don't even see it going yeah. on the list, but it's probably in there. And then if you, you know, if you go to one of his uh, GitHub projects and he happens, he's, he's like, I don't know, I, mean, I should look on the background, but if you, if you go to one of his things and then you, um, you look at his packages and then you're like, Maybe he's not responding to this one. You know, you have to realize that he has libraries. Internet is very slow. I don't know if it's working, but oh, there it is. He has 996 repositories where if you go type wow. uh, sources, which means that he I believe that means that he wrote it. He has 896 results for source. I don't know if that's quite true, but it's a lot. Yeah. So he wrote like pure, which is the Zish prompt. Uh, I believe don't quote me on all these things, but these are his, they, I don't think they're forks. Cause if they're forks, they would say forks. Um, he wrote grunt SAS. What? And he updated, this is really fun. We did this one time at work. He updated grunt SAS five hours ago. <laughs> he has a repo for awesome electron. He updated it eight hours ago. He has refined GitHub, a browser extension that simplifies the GitHub interface and adds useful features. He updated it nine hours ago. 
He has a library called Matcher, which is a simple wildcard matching 13 hours ago. Pure, which is the Zish prompt 20 hours ago. I mean, he, this guy's just, he's amazing. And that's a really wide range of different packages too, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's... Grunt, Zish, Crypto Hash, uh, Browser Extensions. Ow, Functional Argument Validation for Humans. <laughs> he has one called Is, which type checks, you know, is string true? So it's a really small library that has a lot of the features that, like, say, um, Lodash would have. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's just, like, he's, he's prolific is the correct word. But he just makes Aura the elegant terminal spinner, which you've probably seen, which is like the thing that does little spinnies in the terminal while it's building stuff. He wrote that. Uh, I mean... A lot of little things that you don't think about, guys. A lot of things. He's Oh, and looking at his uh, organizations, he's a member of uh, the awesome SAS one, obviously, Babel, um, Eoman, Grunt, Bauer... I don't know, a couple of them I don't know, so I'm pausing. It's a lot. Web components. Those are H5, all the, the um, HTML5 boilerplate. Mm, uh, yeah. I mean, and these are like org members. Tap, which is that really awesome uh, unit testing library. Small one that a lot of people use for libraries. Yargs, which I love. I just love the name. I love their brand. Yargs. They have like a pirate. It's amazing. Yargs. They do uh, JavaScript arguments. Istanbul, which is a test coverage library. Chalk. Uh, Exo, which is a really good, uh, really simple linting package that kind of takes ESLint and simplifies some of the rules around it, so that it's pretty easy to import and change the rules and configure. Imagemin. I mean, you look at this and you talk about like people who are open sourcers. Like I'm not one. Yeah. Even though I have the sticker on my laptop, I like to feel like I am. But pretending, Greg. I mean, this guy is. Yeah. For sure. How many open issues does he have right now? I don't know how you could tell over the whole. Just pick the just pick the most recent one and how many does he have on there? The most recent repository. Like oh the yeah, the last okay. one that he updated. Yeah, yeah, going back to the repository, it's really slow. Grunt SAS is the last one he updated to. There's one open issue and 213 closed issues, so he's on top of it. Yeah, which is pretty nice. So I mean, if let's just say that you were a junior dev and you came to want like Grunt SAS, you're like. This thing is not compiling my SAS and it's your fault. And you put a ticket in there and you're all rude about it. What do you think he's going to think? Like, and in reality, uh, Grunt SAS probably just calls back to Node SAS. So yeah. it's like the, the issue is probably in Node SAS, not Grunt SAS. Yeah. So, you know, don't be rude. Don't just, be rude. Just be nice to people. Yeah. One of the most recent issues is SAS is not defined. Reference error. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, and then he responded, the error is clearly clear enough if you Google it. <laughs> Pretty Which cool response. Is, I don't know. Kind of. It's funny. It's funny. Straight to the point. Yeah. But he actually did link, link to a tag. I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh... I, I've heard that specific phrase uh, spoken a little bit less nicely. So that's actually a really nice way to Yeah. But I mean, that's the thing is like, you got to, you got to think about it. Like even people, these people, they're all just people and they're all just working on stuff and they all have their own things. This guy, he's probably working on, you know, a ton of other libraries that he wants to release. And, you know, maintaining software is hard. It is. As we all know. So it's real. It's a real, it's a real life. <laughs> Here's another one. This is not the place to ask. 
which again is a very polite way of putting what he actually wants to say. It's so. a little, it's a little short, but I mean, it's grand sass. Like this is one of the, if, if this is one of the most used packages, I would say by and like beginning devs. Yeah, because webpack is insane. Yeah, webpack's nuts. If you're using grunt, yeah. If you're building something with grunt and you need it to do something sassy. Then you're yeah. using grand sets. This is a big deal. So you're probably he's probably getting issues all the time, comments all the time, tweets all the time, and you know, and the, the thing about it is that most of it, if you think about it, most of grunt SAS is the adapter to Node SAS, which don't quote me on it. I believe that's what it uses under the hood. It's just pushing the compiling to some other library. It's the whole yeah. point of open source, yeah. moving together different packages to com- accomplish a task. So most of it, and and I've done a ton of work with grunt. Most of getting grunt right is just getting the configuration right. Yeah. And a lot of the yep. configuration is sometimes uh, not clear. Um, they'll tell you, like, you know, the, the most basic implementation of it. And they'll say, like, you know, there's the implementation details of how this thing's configuration works are the same implementation details of Node SAS. So they'll link you there. Yeah. So there's a lot of, like, that kind of documentation where... You know, they're trying to keep their stuff really clean because all this thing really is is a wrapper around. I mean, not to make it any less of a of a thing. It's just like it is a wrapper around another library, and he's doing the good gracious for the what's the correct word? Good. He's he's gracious to be maintaining it for the rest of the community to be able to compile their SAS yeah. on Grunt. If yeah. that's what you still do, most people will just most people will just whip out like. Uh, create React app, which is fine, and, you know, start writing React code. But, you know, I, there are legitimate uses for Grunt and Gulp in 2018 if you need the, the ability to have, like, just a, a, a node process that can do anything for you. Yeah. And it's orchestrated. Yeah. You know, there's... It does, have, it does have some good things going into it. Yeah. There, there is at least one project that I've worked on recently that is still using Grunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, using a grunt pipeline. So, um, if only for maintaining "quote unquote" legacy projects, yeah, it's important to know that stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's the other thing is, and you know, if you think about it, when you're when you're looking at your open source uh, reputation, I mean, anybody can go to anybody's. Pretty sure you can go to anybody's repo, look at their history, and you can see. Everything they're commenting on. Yeah, they had this. They had the fun option in the, the calendar now, right, where they switch to, you can put all of your contributions and have them show up in the calendar. So yeah, the, they the made fun it colors old. and stuff on the on the yeah the, the months going back. So even if you're in a situation uh, where you are working on only private repos that aren't necessarily public, you'll see you'll still see the GitHub contributions. Yeah, that was great when they did that. Yeah, that was a good idea because they're. A lot of people, me included, I would look at my, my GitHub and I would look at my calendar and I'd go, oh, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not very green. But then you can see it. You can go like, before it would be like show the show the privates. Yeah. And you would see it and you'd be like, well, that's, that's green. Yeah. And then you look at the public one and it's like, that's not green. That's not green at all. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, it also has a really cool logo. I want to like create a profile image that's awesome like that. Yeah. You have to, uh, you have to say something nice about Microsoft now, Greg. Why? Because they don't get help. Hmm. No. I mean, sure. <laughs> They've done a couple things like taking it over. I think that they're what they're good at is uh, is 
is trying to make it more social. Like I think GitHub before was plenty social within the context of repos, but I think that one of the things that Microsoft brings to the table, especially after they now own LinkedIn and yep. all that kind of stuff is that they can really bring in like the business community portion of things. Yeah. So they're adding a lot of features to do that. And, and one of the interesting things about them buying GitHub is that they can just put so many more bodies on it. So they look yeah. at like they, you know, I think they, they also got the GitHub team, right? They didn't just buy yeah, the software. So they got everyone. So they look at their list of like things that they wanted to do. And then, you know, every company is going to take their list of their milestones and they're going to say, this is V1, V2, V3, V4, yeah. future, never backlog, all that kind of stuff. And Microsoft's just like, here's a pile of money. Let's look at some of those backlogs. Yeah. Let's look at some of those things that, you know, we're never really getting into. And, and they've done a pretty good job about not, like being like, hey, you know what GitHub's really good for? It's good for Azure, <laughs> doing things with Azure. Like they made it so that it can do a lot of hooks into Azure yeah, and Azure yeah. build processes, and it can use like a lot of the Cortana intelligence and things that are in uh, in Azure, and it integrates really well with Azure, which of course they're going to do. But they did it as adapters. Yeah, they never because GitHub has never been like we well except for themselves they've never been they've never been attached to like any one cloud provider right. or any kind of thing it's like we are github we're a community we have all these things it's right here it's this website it has all these cool things you can do um but they've never really been like we prefer amazon web yeah. services and i think that that makes a lot of sense for microsoft right if you make it as easy as possible for azure yeah to go into azure from github that's that's your that's your, fine. Gonna be your main gateway it's that's gonna be your main way that yeah. developers Go to Azure, right? But you don't, you don't like prompt it. It's not like they added a banner that's like try Azure today. Go to Azure. Do you imagine they put ads on GitHub? I mean, well, let's just say they might one day do it. Who knows? But yeah. I, you, I don't see them doing it. You click on, you click on like merge PR and it says, hey, you could do this faster with Azure. You could do this faster with Azure. Even if there was like a modal that popped up over the button or something crazy like that. Yeah. I mean, they don't seem to be, even in the marketplace, they don't really seem to be propping up any of their tools as of yet i mean who knows they might one day but i don't know it seems like they're doing so far a pretty good job of stewarding the application and they you know there was a point in time i believe before uh github got into better pricing that they were struggling a little bit yeah financially financially and then they kind of got into the one thing they did where you know you you can't have private repos without paying for a developer account which is seven bucks a month they did that um but I think before that, there was like a certain amount of free private repos you could have. I think so. I think it was like right. 10 or something, which, I mean, I if you're... It's high, but there were, there was a under, threshold of yeah. you could have X number of free private repos. But they, they, I do remember that they changed that. Yeah, that and then they, the next level up was like 10 bucks a month, and then you could have more. Yeah. And I think what they did is they they switched it so that now the developer account seven bucks a month. It has unlimited public and private repos. Yeah, which and makes unlimited sense. collaborate collaborators on those repos, which is a really damn good deal for seven bucks. Yeah, like if you're actually writing code, uh, and people are contributing to your library, seven bucks a month is like it's not that much for especially for what you get. I mean, GitHub goes down like once every few months. For like an hour or two. For like an hour or two, and you get a cool little GIF while you're waiting for it to come yeah. back up. It's pretty, uh, pretty good uptime, pretty good service. Yeah, so I mean, I think they're doing okay. They did change the UI a lot, so there's like a little things here and there that have popped up where I'm like, what? 
Oh, the thing where they're on. cutting off the README? Or they're cutting off yeah, the, uh, they're the doing... file list at the root? Not they're, a fan of that one. They're doing some stuff to make things cleaner, I guess. I mean, I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to they're gonna have to A-B test things, see what people like, and see how it works. But, you know, at the same time, they're, they're still trying to keep it open and, and work with a lot of different things. And if they want to make it so that if you happen to want to use Azure, it's really easy to write GitHub hooks to, like, do deployments and stuff. Yeah. The prerogative. Yeah. Interesting that Microsoft comes up because Microsoft, as of late, touched on this a little bit last week, they have started to really contribute a lot of code to a lot of open source projects, right? They are actually mm -hmm. one of the, if not the top, they might be the top contributor to the Linux kernel right now. I didn't know that because I'm not as much of a Linux. Well, they've, they've contributed a lot of money to it. Microsoft and Linux have a very complicated history. And so yeah. where they're at right now is that they are trying to contribute more to the Linux community, the open source community. They've contributed code. They've contributed money. They've mm -hmm. contributed expertise, right? Visual Studio Code is built almost entirely on open source software, right? Mm -hmm. Electron, JavaScript, things like that. And they're dedicating a lot of resources to this stuff. And so it's interesting to see uh, a company that before was not very receptive and helpful in that space when a company of that size actually can go, oh, you know what? We're just going to build a code editor. We're just going to use all open source stuff. We're just going to, you know, put it out there, see if people like it. And the, the quality of the product that they can put out without even thinking about it and without even trying. Probably a lot better than Joe Code Editor guy who built one the weekend on GitHub and mm -hmm. has like a giant page of instructions that half of them don't work. It's interesting to see what they're doing there. Um, one thing I saw actually earlier today, Greg, I don't know if you saw this. They are building a Chromium-based browser to replace Edge. Wow. They are scrapping Edge HTML. They said that? That was, I think, earlier today, which is nuts. We'll put, I'll, I'll check a link down, down and put that in the show notes. But that's pretty interesting to me. I never actually quite, can you explain to me what Edge HTML is? Because I never actually used Microsoft Edge. So Edge HTML was like their second try at building their own rendering engine mm. or browser, right? Um, it made definitely a lot of improvements on Internet Explorer, which we all know and love for love how it. well it works with websites. I mean, I think it renders things perfectly. I mean, it doesn't really, but that's, that's a completely different thing. Uh, so it was, their, it was their second iteration, essentially. Uh, did a lot of things better. Uh, didn't quite close the loop on a lot of things that they should have. Um, and the other WebKit browsers uh, were just pulling further and further ahead than they already were. So... It seems like it would make sense to me at this point for them to make that switch, right? Yeah. Um, because of the fact that Edge was a significantly better browser than Internet Explorer, still didn't get market share, right? You had a lot of problems at the launch of Windows 10. Um, a lot of the spyware-y kind of things that Windows 10 was rightly criticized for were also centered around Edge as well. And so there wasn't that much adoption, but... If you rebuild it with Chromium so that it actually renders things the way that Chrome renders things, mm -hmm. and developers like you and I are not pulling our hair out trying to vertically center a div on Microsoft Edge, I think that's a big deal. I think that's huge. I think that we've seen a lot of use cases where the 
big corporate client that can install their own browser on their own machine, has to use whatever comes on the machine, uh, they're going to see that that market is huge. Uh, the number of people who use browsers in that way are huge. And so giving them something that works a bit better uh, is going to eventually make our lives easier as developers as well. So I think it's a good thing. I just realized that uh, I haven't been asked to test anything on Edge yet. Do you test things on Edge? I mean, Do you test things anywhere? I don't really write front-end code. As, I mean, I don't write CSS as much where it actually matters, but I mean, I do write quite a lot of full-stack JavaScript code that I have to test on, like, IE. But I think a lot of people assume that Edge, if it works in IE 11, which is, like, the lowest common denominator these days for a lot yeah. of brands, that it works on Edge, but the way that you're explaining it, it might not. <laughs> so uh, there haven't been that many... I haven't heard of that many regressions of Edge. We said it's a different renderer, so it's not. It is a different renderer, but I think that they didn't like fix a bunch of stuff and then also break a bunch of things. IE11 definitely is the furthest behind of the browsers that are having any. Still, so many people that use it. It's pretty ridiculous. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, all you gotta do is install Chrome. But Greg, uh, the security, my security, my security on my, well, on my. On the corporate machine, though. What are we going to do about that? <laughs> You're so mean to the corporate people that make these decisions, but sure. <laughs> you go ahead and add them. Well, corporate people, <laughs> all the corporate people out there listening to Greg and I talk, if you have questions about why it's a bad idea to not let people install the browsers that they need to install on their machines, Yeah, you know what? Come on the show. I mean, there's a lot of, I, I could understand, like, with a lot of, like, banking companies and et cetera, like, they have to really control what they use. But I don't really know, like, has it actually been verified, like, how many of those rules actually protect their business? Like, granted, not having the Wild Wild West on your network is probably fair. Right. It also saves, like, if you go to, like, some of these, uh, some of these corporate places where they can't even run, iMessage because they block the ports mm -hmm. or they can't run far, uh, Spotify because they block the ports. Yeah. A lot of that will save like a really, really big business that has 50,000 employees. If no one's able to watch YouTube all day, they just save themselves gigabytes of internet bills. That's true. So it's like there's legitimate reasons for doing these things, but at the same time, especially if you're hosting a troop of developers, put them in their own subnet because those people probably need to do a lot mm -hmm. of things on the internet that you don't think are fair or right. like that are safe or whatever the correct word is. Like, just put them in their own little, you know, their own little subnet and let them do what they need to do. Um, pretty fortunate at work where they don't actually, like, block a lot of stuff, but they, uh, I mean, they do block things like my, my Nest camera. I can't well, they've been, they've been blocking more stuff recently, right? We had this problem where there were uh, images that we were calling from, a, from an API that were getting blocked mm. by the firewall. Yeah, it's Which a lot of like, sense, but. it's pretty crazy. I mean, these big corporations have to, they have to control like their entire network, usually from a different location. Yeah. So, I don't know. We're talking about open source, <laughs> not closed source. But I mean, it it is interesting because it's a good contrast. Like the old world of, of develop, of just running computers and doing things was closed source, closed software, closed this. And, you know, you had a lot of people that worked on projects and were like, you know, they obviously had the credentials and the experience to do the job, which helped them when they were looking for, for work, et cetera. They, you know, they, 
back in the day would typically have had a computer science degree or have just a ton of experience to back it, etc. But nowadays, like you could teach yourself how to code, put a few things on GitHub, have a pretty good reputation and get a job. Yeah. Like that's yeah, it's quite open source. It, it definitely lowers the barrier of entry to development, right? I don't think that either of us would be in this career. No. If these tools didn't exist, even in some small, right? If jQuery didn't exist, oh, I yeah. probably would not be doing this as a job. I mean, and it's funny because now you look at like React and you have to write a lot of vanilla JavaScript. Because mm-hmm. like, why would you add jQuery when you're only using it for like one thing? And then granted, there's cross browser issues, but a lot of those, the, a lot of the things that called for jQuery to exist back in the day are not really issues as much no, anymore. Not. Yeah. With the modern browsers, like it's not like, you know, XHR, HTTP requests are handled differently across IE 11 and Chrome. It shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. There might be a little bit, but like, it's not as big of a deal. It's not like you need to have like a different selector engine for Edge that you don't have on Chrome. But there's like certain selectors and pseudo selectors that only work on Chrome or don't work on Firefox. There's always those things. That's the, the, why front end devs, you know, are going to be bucks. employed for a long time. Well, I mean, that's why they're like obviously useful and going to be employed for a long time because, you know, there's there's just so many different things, so many yeah. different screen sizes. There's so many different. There's just so many things yeah. that you have to know. You know how to vertically center a div, Greg. Yeah, I mean, except that you, I don't think you can't use flex. Certain portions of flex don't work in IE11. Yes, that's true. So you know, there, there's, it's like what it's really interesting, like thinking about going kind of. Like, I don't know, tangently in a circle. But when you're a new dev, a lot of the people that come out of coding schools, which I don't knock them. Like, I think that there's 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 things as long as you come out of there with a desire to continue learning and you're not like I'm totally 100 percent capable of doing all these jobs. Yeah. If you come out of that and you're like, I have a really great exposure to a lot of different things and I had a lot of crash courses in programming and I'm committed to like spending the next two years learning more, you're probably going to be in a great dev. Yeah. So it's it's interesting because people come out of those schools and then they have to they have to like they have to figure out somewhere to learn the rest of the knowledge that they need to do their job so they'll go to stack overflow they'll go the last their coworkers. they'll go to uh github they'll start researching things they'll build stuff they'll do all kinds of things and the community really allows them to do that yeah so being a good steward of that community is important and and being a good contributor to that community is really important too yes that's the dream the dream i mean you should always be you should always be nice in everything that you do hopefully and hope that you're providing just as much to the community as people are getting out of it maybe not now like when you're first starting out you're gonna you're gonna take more from the community than you're gonna give yeah and as you grow and as you get more experience you're gonna end up giving at least maybe not giving more than you're taking but at least giving as much as you're taking right and that's where you want to be because the more uh, people have the ability to get into this industry the more that they get to the more that the, the industry creates better things yep the more tools get that better tools get better there's plenty of work at least at this you know day and age may change in the future but there's plenty of work to do and you need good devs to do that work definitely so good stuff Craig. Yeah. Greg, do you have a pick for us this week? I mean, I kind of ruined it in the beginning. <laughs> Talked about shit. I mean, you can pick something else if you want. Hmm. 
Why don't you go first? Why don't I go first? Yeah. Yeah, I always go first, and it's like I'm on the spot. Yeah. I'm going to go with a workout app that I've downloaded recently that I've been really enjoying called the Nike Training App. It's made by Nike. Um, The one that I have on my watch? That's the Nike Running App. That's a running app. There's a separate one for the training app. It's neon green uh, Mm. or Volt, as they like to call that color. Uh, it's what's pretty the good. What's the, what's the CSS color? They call it Volt. What's the, co- the I don't color? know if that's one of the official CSS colors. You <laughs> might have to write that one yourself. Mm. I don't know the hex code on that one. Okay. Um, but it's pretty good. It has a, a, a very wide range of different types of workouts, right? If you don't have any equipment, they got stuff for you. Like you metrics and all that? Yep, all kinds of stuff. They have a, a nice little thing that's built in that can plan out workouts for you. Over the span of does it use eight weeks, twelve weeks? Machine um, learning for that? Does it artificially intelligent? They ask you a couple of questions. Oh, so it has data science. Okay, a little bit of data science. Nice. But uh, I was very impressed with the the range and the quality of the app. I'm like really uh, bad right now. Um, Got to have to cut this entire last part of this thing out. You could always just take the part in the beginning where I talked I just about put it at the and end. put it at the end. Oh, well, that's I like too it at the long. That's probably too long. That's okay. I don't know. The only thing I really did this weekend is I went and I did that. Uh, I went to a white elephant party where uh, I brought some Jeff Goldblum stuff. That all there you my... go. Jeff Goldblum stuff. I mean. Do you have links for this? You, you order them online or you can get them on Etsy? Society6. Society6. We'll okay. have links for you in the show notes, guys. Jeff Goldblum stuff for all of your white elephant needs. Go check that out. Yeah. I got this, uh, I got this poster that's like the Obama Pope poster, but it's Jeff Goldblum and it's from Jurassic Park. Yes. And so it does it say... Uh, life yeah i think it's his life and then i got a set of coasters of him like as that famous uh photo where he's like touching the hand of god like where he's like laying his shirts open he's laying down (laughs) and he's like touching the hand of god and then i think i don't know if they have god on the other side touching his hand but he's doing that motion yeah it's on a coaster pretty cool it's on a coaster there's four coasters it was pretty neat yeah yeah it's about that time of year greg it is i haven't done Christmas shopping yet. I'm going to have to do that. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Not looking forward to that at all this year. No. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, like, when you get older, you realize that, I tell my girlfriend this, when you get older, you realize that you end up giving more gifts than you get, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, you spent, fine. you spent, like, 20 years of your, your life entire to life, give you gifts. You've been giving, you've been yeah. getting all I mean, of these Gifts and it's you just great. like when you're a kid, you don't you don't buy. Yeah, gifts your parents like give you a Nintendo 64 like they did when I was a kid. And it, you give them a card, and you give them or even that you make them a card <laughs> with a little drawing you make of them like a card, right? you holding their hand. You're like mommy uh-huh. and daddy, mommy and dad, Nintendo 64. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so that's so. that's what adulting is, Greg. Is when you start getting fewer gifts yeah. than you buy. It's fine, but it's like I like giving gifts to people when I know what to give them. So mm. like. One year, I bought my brother, like, a pair of M50Xs. I was like, he doesn't have a good pair of headphones. I doubt he's, like, out there looking for a high-end pair of headphones. So, one, we don't usually get each other gifts because we're on the other side of this country. But um, one time, I just surprised him, and I got him a pair of headphones. Mm. And it was cool. He was, like, really happy, and he liked them, and he uses them all the time. And I don't know. That's, That's why the Christmas season is great, when you can do that. But if you're not a very good gift giver, and the only thing in life you care about is, like, computer games, programming, and electronics, yeah. and other people around you don't always care about those things, you're like, I think this really cool gift would be, like, you know, a pair of Bluetooth headphones for my girlfriend. And she's like, ah, I don't care. I, don't, I mean, couldn't you have got me something else? For me, the, the go-to <laughs> in those situations is always books. 
Yeah, but who has time to read in this day and age? Well, it's it's even if they don't actually read, it's more symbolic than anything. Like here, put yeah. this on your book. On your so book you shelf. look like you are a learned, reddit person. Yeah, that's true. Well, I guess I got to get better at it. Yeah, maybe we'll do a maybe we'll do a show next week. Is this the time of year where everybody starts doing their, like, their best of 20, 2018 shows and videos and things like that? Best and worst? I think it is because they do it right before Christmas because yeah. their best ofs end mm-hmm. up being the things that they recommend for people to buy or yeah, exactly. whatever. Yeah. We should totally do a show like that, Greg. I have a few of them. Like, yeah. I'd, have to, I'd have to plan for that one. Yeah. Because otherwise I'll just talk about it. Right, like, we're totally doing that next week. Because when is next week? Next week is next week's the 10th. Yeah. So we should totally yeah. do that next week. We should do that next um, week. We're going to do a best and we're going to do a worst. So definitely Oof. bring a worst. Yeah. I think that'll be more fun than the best part. I think the best part's cool because then you get to talk about like nerdy stuff and things that you like. Yeah, but you also kind of, but the thing is, the thing is I've seen with these is that when you see these lists from all of your favorite publications that we read, they're all kind of similar. Yeah. They're all kind of the same, like buy the Sony noise canceling headphones, right? Buy the new Fuji camera. Buy the new Canon camera. Buy the it's like new a, iPhone. Like they're all very similar. Yeah. What's the term for that? Where like company, like people, uh, a feedback loop. Where like one mm-hmm. person says they like the Sony headphones, which are good. I mean, let's just be real. Yeah, I don't have them, but I've heard they're very good. Oh, they're good. Yeah. So like one person says they're really good. One person buys them and they say they're really good. Mm-hmm. It's even worse in like the Apple podcast because yes. then you have like yes, the people get the new iPad iPad Pro. Which is like redonkulously expensive. Yeah. This, I, this, just to like talk about Apple for like two seconds. This year, this set of iPads was the first time that I bought. Well, I don't buy iPads very often, but I got the entry level iPad, just like the 2018 iPad or whatever it was. But when I had the first smaller one, I bought the pencil. Yeah, the smaller one. And I'm like, this thing's perfect. Like, I don't need the iPad Pro. I don't need all these things. But then you go on these podcasts and you listen to them and you're like, I really love my iPad pro 12.9 with 16 or what is it like 512 gigs of ram so or 512 gigs of 512. <laughs> yeah that'd be amazing. the world's fastest oh supercomputer blade the ipad unbelievable no, but like they have like the 512 gigabytes of space and then that comes with like the extra ram if you don't know that that particular oh, model yeah, yeah, has yeah. more ram because it has to apparently e more ram the to data controller to like have more total space like that thing's not throughputting like a ton of whatever Apple, okay. Cool Apple. <clears throat> so I'm sure they had a reason, otherwise they wouldn't have put in extra RAM that cost money, but whatever. So then they all like kind of feedback loop and you hear like all these different people talk about it. Like ETP talks about their picks from the iPad event or whatever. So does like every other podcast in the world. And I like hearing what they have to say because I like all those podcasters, but it just gets just like you you hear and they have to. It's like you obligatorily have to talk about those things. Yeah. But it's just a feedback loop. Kind of is. So, you know, everybody's going to be like, the Sony MDR headphones are great. They are, but I don't need, like, 14 people to tell me the same thing. Yeah. And they're not even, like, they're not even, like, plugging them because they're not doing, like, affiliated Amazon links. No, some do. But, some do. But you don't even make that much money on You those. don't make that much money. They're not really it's, trying to do that. They're just legitimately, like, like those yeah. things. But, so, I don't know. Yeah. So, we'll do that next week. Uh, how about I be the one that picks weird, unique stuff that nobody else would think of? And you can be, like... So I really think you guys should get the Sony noise-canceling headphones, and then 
You can connect them via Bluetooth to your new iPad Pro. Well, you're the inch. hold on. You're the one who loves those MDR headphones just because they have USB C. No, they don't have USB C. But they do. No, the, the Sony they don't. Ones... They the uh, no, the Sony ones don't. Uh, in the next iteration, if they came with USB C, I would absolutely <clears throat> on the spot instant purchase. I feel like that was one of the pros of them, but you pro you're like a like a love USB C. I, so I, I you am probably do now. Fully marching towards the one cable to rule them all future. Yes, that's true. One cable with a ton of adapters to rule them all. Totally. Well, totally. I agree with you. The, the idea is that you don't have any adapters. That's the whole point of USB-C, my friend. All right. I don't know. I'm going to trust you, but I thought they did have it, but one of them has it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. There's a pair being by Bowers and Wilkins. Bowers and Wilkins PX. They look pretty fancy. They come in uh, a space gray. And they have USB-C. Anyways, I don't know. No, they do. I'm wrong. The, uh, the WH, awesome model number, WH-1000XM3 wireless industry-leading noise-canceling over-ear headphones in black. 2018 model. Comes with a charging cable that's USB-C. Looks like you have some headphones to buy. <laughs> I didn't I thought that they were the not. The previous USB-C. years don't. XM2s do not. They also have this really cool uh, motion-sensitive side things. Anyways, I'm going to close this link because I like headphones and I like Bluetooth headphones. Yeah, don't buy those. And I like the Sony Bluetooth headphones, so I'm going to close that link. Yeah. Anyways. Maybe that maybe they should go on our like review list. <laughs> first, Someone's got to get them. First item up is the Lenovo X1 Extreme. Gotta get that thing. Item number two is the Sony noise canceling headphones. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Bring all your hater aid next week, right? Because it's gonna I be mean, a fun show. Yeah. I have a lot of hater aid. Awesome. Cool. Cool. See you next week, man. See you next week.